Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. I pray that you guys are doing well today. Um, what are we, almost in the last week of July? What in the world? Um, time is moving really fast. Maybe too fast. We're already in the second half of 2020. Uh, feels like yesterday when this, when this quarantine began. But here we are. Um, we are continuing through our sermon series through Lent. Um, after Lent, God had put acts on our, in the heart, on my heart as I was praying for our church. Um, and, and it definitely is a time for us to rely on the witness of the early church to help dictate what we should do in a time that is as turbulent as ours right now. So we are continuing through our sermon series. Um, and we'll be reading through Acts chapter 12 today. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 25. I am reading from the ESV. Uh, I don't know what you guys might be reading from, but please keep that in mind. I actually advise you guys to read from the NIV or the NRSV if you have it. Uh, just follow along with your eyes. Obviously, we are reading God's holy and perfect word, although we are not standing together. I pray that we would be in a posture of reverence before our God. This is the word of the Lord. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer was made for him, made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. 
And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is this angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Verse 18, now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us just to be able to worship you. Jesus, I have no right to come before your people and preach. I have no qualifications, nothing to show for. But Lord, you have brought us all together because it is your will and it is your glory and it is your kingdom and it is your church. So God, I pray, Father, that hearts would hear you and not hear me, that they would hear you knocking on the doors of their hearts and not me. For what do I know about their lives? But Lord, you see every single day. You see every minute, every second, every hour, every thought, every tear. You see every secret sin. You see every virtue that they have. You love them, you hem them in, and they're fearfully and wonderfully made by you and you alone. So God, I pray that they would not hear my words, but that they would hear you. God, that you would preach whatever it is that you desire into the hearts of your people. Father, Lord, that you would cut us all to the heart with conviction, with commitment, with encouragement, with illumination, whatever it is that is on your heart. Father God, that the will that you have for this church will continue to move forward. Lord, we are living in turbulent times. The government is flipping upside down. And people are crying out because the blood of their brothers and sisters spill out on the ground. Father, we pray that you would hear the hearts of those who are crying out. That as we mourn with those who mourn, Father, that you would truly hear them. We lift their voices unto you, Jesus. Would you be with those who are mourning over the deaths of their ancestors, over the deaths of their children and their parents? Father God, that you would guide them to be able to see, Father, how you are the answer. 
Jesus, that you would raise up an army for your name. That it would not be might or human power or discipline or diplomatics that saves this country and saves your people. But it would be our citizenship in you, God. And our unity that is given with the blood of the Lamb. Strangers turned into household members under one body, under one house, under one name. That it would be this and this alone that drives our country forward. Lord, we pray for your church. We pray, God, that you would come upon every single heart and that they would be cut to the heart with the reality of the gospel and the reality of who you are and who we are. Lord, as we will read today and as we will hear, you are real. So God, I pray that our church, that North Boston, would be a ministry that stands straight and tall before you. Not in pride or in lofty wisdom, but God, in humility and patience and kindness and faith, that we would not just believe in you, but that we would believe you, that we would trust you at your word, that we would live our lives according to your word. Knowing God, that even if everything that everything Everything in reality as we know it might fade tomorrow. You do not fade. You will not fail. So help us to see the reality of facing you. The reality of living as citizens of the kingdom of the Most High God. That we would walk in step with the gospel. That we would walk together, God. Holy Spirit, as you shake our hearts up, as you burn our hearts in ways that we might not expect, I pray that you would take us to the next level with you. That we would shed all of our sins and cast all our crowns at your feet, knowing that you do not need us to be perfect. But you just ask for faith. You just ask for relationship, for your presence. So Jesus, may your grace move us to follow you this morning. I pray for revival in our church as we hear your words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's sermon title is God is Real. <laughs> Today's sermon title is God is Real. And the main idea for those of you guys who are writing down notes is God is moving in your midst and God is in full control. The main idea is God is moving in your midst and God is in full control. The title, as I said before, and as I say again, is God is real. So today's passage starts with the corruption of Herod. It helps us to understand when exactly in the time frame of the early church everything is happening. And the first thing we see off the bat is James is executed. Who is James? James is one of the 12 apostles. James is the brother of John, one of the earliest believers of Jesus Christ. James is one of the most important people in the testimony of Jesus Christ. And yet James dies here. An apostle, he is equivalent to like, he's just, he is as powerful and as important to the church as Peter was. So for James to die is a very big deal. So he kills James, 
And when he saw, this is I think verse one or two, when he saw it pleased the Judeans, he arrested Peter also. It's a time of great strife. I don't know if you guys can imagine what it's like for your fearless, bold leader to be captured in chains and executed publicly. But the church, the early church has every reason to be in low, low spirits. And fueled by the encouragement and the pleasure of the Jews, this Roman king, he takes the next step to arrest Peter. And he intended to bring Peter before the people. What does that mean? To bring Peter before the people is most likely, and actually most definitely talking about a public trial. One that King Agrippa, because it's not a it's not a democracy, it's a monarchy. Or really a dictatorship, that this leader has full control over. So this trial basically goes. And this is how these trials normally went, but it basically goes the way the leader is feeling that day. So based on how Agrippa is feeling, Peter might be flogged or killed. But judging by the fact that James was killed and he was fueled by this to arrest Peter, had this trial happened, the chances of Peter being executed, even possibly on the spot, was very likely. So Peter was to be brought before the people in a public trial. He was captured and he was in jail. Now while he was in jail, it says that the church prayed for him with zeal and anticipation of intervention. But I want to make something clear. The church was praying not for Peter's release, but the church was praying for a lesser sentence. Basically, the church was also, they were asking, they were like, God, I pray that you would be with Peter. I pray that you would guide him. I pray that you would take, make sure of his safety. Father, we need him in the church. But they weren't necessarily praying for escape of Peter or release of Peter. They were praying for a lighter sentence than death. That's something that isn't clear. You know, it might sound like the church is very, very faithful church. And they are. They are a very, very faithful church. But what's about to happen, they have no idea. All they are wanting of God is a lesser sentence for Peter, that he wouldn't die. So on the very last day of the morning of the trial, which is on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, on the morning of the trial... At about the the third watch hour, it says, about the third watch hour, so it's between 4 to 6 a.m. Peter is fast asleep, and the angel wakes him up by touching him. This touching, in in the ESP, it says striking him, because it, it, it means that the angel had to deliver a strong blow, either slapping him or, like... Like really jabbing it, jabbing him in his side, which means that Peter was fast asleep. That's also really interesting. Why is Peter fast asleep? Peter is faithful. I don't know if you guys have been in a situation where everything is dependent on the words of one person, where your life and death is dependent on the words of one person. But this man clearly 
was not moved enough by the fact that he was he might he was about to die the next day. He was able to still sleep soundly. I mean, so he trusted God even with death, even if his fate was the same as James or Stephen. So for whatever reason, Peter in faith or stupidity or boldness or brazenness or I'm not really sure, or maybe he was numb, there's a gazillion things that Peter might have been going through. For whatever reason, he was fast asleep. <laughs> the angel pokes him really badly in his side room, like slaps him across the face, does whatever, wakes him with a strong blow and gets says, get up. Get up quickly. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. One thing that's very interesting about this narrative is we see a miracle story that happens in the jail cell. If you guys can understand, Peter is in the most heavily guarded cell with a lot of people around him keeping watch at night. And yet the angel of the Lord comes in with light. Light is very significant because it signals the presence of God. And he wakes him up, he says, get up quickly. And the chains literally fall off his hands. I don't know if y'all know anything about heavy metal, all right? I don't know if y'all have ever tried to break, I don't know, maybe handcuffs. But let me tell you something, spoiler alert, it ain't easy. Metal is impossible, impossible to break with human hands. Okay? But the chains, they fall off his hands. The connotation of it is kind of like light and lofty, almost like just that it kind of broke apart and it fell off him. But that, you have to understand, makes no sense based on science. Sheer properties of metal, it should not have happened that way. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. This is a very important aspect of the narrative. So let me get this straight. The church, when they were praying for the intervention of God by Peter did not ask God to necessarily intervene, but just to lighten the sentence. And then Peter, while the angel is physically making reality bend to its will so that Peter can magically and miraculously escape the cell, past the eyes of the guards, past chains and bars and locks, he's still thinking that it's a vision. It probably has to do with the light and also has to do with like how crazily everything was bending to the will of the angel. Peter probably didn't feel like it was reality. But anyways, verse 10, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and he says, now I know that the Lord has delivered me from the hands of Herod. 
This is very interesting. So the church didn't necessarily pray to ask for this. But between 4 and 6 a.m., an angel of the Lord wakes Peter up. Chains fall off his hands. Doors open in and close in without anybody holding on to them. Breaking all the all of Newton's laws of motion. Things that have come to a stop do not start moving unless there is a force applied to them, but there was no force applied to them, and it just swung right open for them. So clearly everything is defying everything. And it seems like nobody ain't nobody able to see the fact that Peter is leaving. Now, unless Peter became a ghost or somehow became invisible, like this is some Avengers stuff right here, all right? It is not normal what happens to Peter. And Peter is experiencing, and this is funny to me, like y'all, I, I mean, obviously we wake up, I mean, I wake up every day during this quarantine. I'm like, is this dreaming? Am I dreaming or is this real life? Like, is this really happening in, in America right now? Like Trump is really elected? I'm just kidding. For those of you guys who might be Republican, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just, I'm really just kidding. That's not my, anyway. Um, what was I saying? Yes, so like, obviously I wake up every day like, what the heck is going on in this world? Like, is this reality? Is this a real life? Sorry to sing queen. But, like, like, Peter is so flabbergasted by his reality that as the angel jabs him, like, we always say, like, pinch me. Pinch me. Am I dreaming? Pinch me. And something good happens, right? Because you don't feel pain in dreams. But man's was woken up either by getting slapped or being poked really hard in his side, right? That's how man's woke up. And the angel's like, get up quickly. And things are falling off of his hands. Like, it's like, it's putty. Like, literally heavy metal is falling off his hands like it's dandruff. And then he walks out. He walks past human beings. Like, literal human beings with swords on them. And they ain't seeing him. Like, what the heck is going on? And things are opening up. And he's so freaked out. Man is so freaked out by what is going on before him that he is actually not able to differentiate between reality and a vision. Like, Peter is fully awake. Granted, it's 4 a.m. I've often felt like reality and fantasy mixes in at 4 a.m. It's, it's quite an early hour. Regardless, Peter is walking. Like, he is wa literally walking out of the jail, and he's not yet realizing that it is reality. It is only when the angel leaves him, and then he's like, oh shoot, I'm actually outside. That's when he's like, now I know. Now I know that God has saved me from the hands of Herod. And when he comes to, when he finally, <laughs> when he finally is able to realize that this is reality, he runs to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Now, at this point, the church is a whole lot more faithful than we are, y'all. So they pray in the early morning for things. Um, if I'm up at 4 a.m. in the morning, it's usually because I've watched a drama too long. But this church is awake in the wee hours of the night praying, right? And so they were, they was all awake and nobody was sleeping, all right? They were praying and he gets 
to the house of Mary, and he knocks, and he says, It's me, Peter. And the slave girl, Rhoda, she hears him, and she is so happy that she hears the voice of Peter. Like, when somebody knocks on your door, what do you do? Who is it? Come in! And you open the door for them. But when he knocks on the door and she says, Who is it? Because it's early morning of the night and the church is still being persecuted. So being knocked at is not always a good thing. Knocks, knock, 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 knock. Who is it? And it's like, it's Peter. Instead of opening the door for the man who was in jail, she runs to the rest of the family. She's like, guess who I heard? Man, it's still outside. This crashing up, I, I laugh every single time. Every single time I think about this. Because literally, man, is some, some, it's like some slapstick comedy. You know what I mean? He's outside the door asking to come in. And if he really, if that's really Peter, if what you're hearing is really Peter, then you know he was about to die this morning. So like... Nah, she runs the other way and she tells everybody, you won't believe who's outside right now. Who? Peter. It's Peter's way. They're like, she tripping, right? And it's like, no, it's really Peter. It's really Peter. Are you kidding? Peter's in jail. I think you're here. No, it's Peter. It's Peter. Okay, fine. Meanwhile, because... And it's not like Peter, Peter is clearly still anxious about the fact that he's outside when he's supposed to be in jail. So if you can imagine Peter, <laughs> he's knocking. Somebody says, who is it? It's like, it's Peter. And then she runs off. So Mance is like, oh, he's like knocking. Hello? <laughs> Hello? And so he's still knocking. And everybody's like, what the heck is going on? So this man is getting a little desperate. He's still knocking. And Rhoda's like, oh my God, it's Peter. And they're like, you're tripping. And so they're like, okay, something's weird. And they open the door. And sure enough, lo and behold, it's Peter, the man who is in maximum prison, at the lowest part of the prison, where there's most surveillance and most separation from the world and and every way she performed that a man could possibly be locked up with chains and a jail that Peter that might have almost died today along with James standing before their doorstep I, I don't know about y'all but I, I think I would feel kind of like he's a ghost I think I would cry. I think I would laugh. I think I would hug him and kiss him. You just, you know, like, so many emotions. And it would probably be really loud. But the first thing Peter was, shh. Because they're like, oh! And he's like, shh. <laughs> he's like, calm down. Calm down. And he's like, tell everybody. He gives them specific instructions. Tell these things to James and the brothers. And then he leaves and goes to another place. Luke doesn't specify in the book of Acts where Peter goes, particular, probably because Luke's letter had relevance at during his time as well. So it's probably to protect the place of Peter because clearly Peter's life is still in danger. So he departs and goes to another place. 
The whole church is the prize. The miracle of God is not in a vision, but reality. It's not that God was just with Peter in spirit, guiding the sentence along so that it would be lighter. But God physically in the real world intervenes, makes reality and government seem like it's a game. Takes Peter out. Things are just bending to the will of God. Metal is just bending to the press. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but that freaks me out. Like metal is just bending and breaking in the presence of God. Ain't nobody saying nothing, but it's just breaking and bending, and everything's opening up. You know, and that's just how that's just how it is. Like everything is bending and opening to the Lord in the physical realm. And Peter is physically released by the hand of God, and he is physically shown up to the church. Far beyond the church's expectation, he is set free. Now, this doesn't happen all the time. Jane, how come this doesn't happen all the time if God is capable of this? Honestly, I can't tell you what the will of God is or isn't. I can't tell you, and I don't know why Peter was saved and James was not. What I do know is that God loves Peter and James more than you and I love Peter and James. And God has a plan for the church, and God is in full control. So I would suspend, if I were you, I would suspend my judgment on whether or not it was good of God to let James die and Peter live because that is our limited human understanding of good and evil. You're basically judging God, you're putting God in the trial block and you're sitting as judging, you're saying, on my moral standards, God, you're evil. We have to understand God does not need to save human beings because every human being is a sinner and not just a sinner, an enemy on their own. So there is no reason for us to for us to even go there is modern pridefulness. Uh, the Jewish church never went there because the Jewish church understood the judgment of God was real. And so the Jews at the time, the Jews at the time, like the earth in the Old Testament, when people would sin, the earth would open up and swallow a human. You know what I mean? Like the Jews understood the sheer judgment and holiness of God. And so nobody ever went there. That's modern. And so I just want to remind you guys to suspend that, that sense of, well, why is this person saving this person not understanding that number one, if we are really God's children, our moral judgment is limited and his is not. And you must go into that, that, that counter argument with that premise in mind, actually impacting the argument. And the second thing would be Peter and John are both loved by God more than you and I can love a person. Peter and John were both died for on the cross by a man. Peter and John both had their feet washed by a man after following a man around for three years. Uh, Peter and James, sorry, I've been saying John the whole time. Peter and James had their feet washed after following a man around for three years who is God and left that God and saw that God die and saw that God resurrect. Peter and John were shown lavish love and they were willing to put their lives on the line. So just in case your mind is going there, Jane, how come Peter is saved and John is, James is not? I just want to make that very clear for y'all. 
that James himself would not feel comfortable with that counter-argument. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, but yes, this amazing miracle happens in this time and climate of persecution um, by this king. There are a lot of things that you can think of, but there are two things to note about this miracle before we move on into the second section. There are two things to note about this miracle. The first thing to note is that the church and even Peter was not able to come to grips with how much God was real and how much God was in control of the situation. The church was praying for the sentence to be lessened they didn't even dare believe. They didn't even go there with their brains. They were like, God, we know you're real. Don't do it for us, please. But they had no idea. They had no idea what was going down. Peter, while everything was happening to him, while everything was happening, like I am preaching to y'all right now. Honestly, the fact that I'm talking to a camera and that I'm used to that now also feels like a fantasy in and of itself. But I'm talking to you guys and I'm preaching to you guys right now. I am standing on my own two feet in my home. This is AT Hanover Street. I probably shouldn't have said that here. But like, you know, this is my reality right now. And I'm aware that this is my reality. But Peter was walking through things and did not understand his reality, even while it was happening to him. Y'all, y'all have to be tracking with me when I say that God is bigger than your wildest imagination. What God will and will not do is not dependent on what we think our options are. God knows your heart. He knows how he made you. He knows what you love. He knows the desires of your heart that are good because he placed it there. And there are things, there are doors that are going to open and close in your life that you did not expect. And I want y'all to know, God is bigger and wilder than anything you hold in your knowledge right now. And anything that he can do is reality. God is not a God that just moves in our imagination. God is real. Like he's real, real. How big of a deal do you have to be that the elements of matter bend to your presence? We see movies and superhero films and I'm thinking of, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but I'm thinking of Avatar. We see so many things about people controlling elements of the world. You understand the reason for why superhero films and even stuff like Avatar, when pe where people are able to literally bend the world around them, is so particularly fascinating and popular is because in every human being, there lies an innate desire to control the world and the forces around them. 
And so watch a human be able to do something that the rest of us cannot do. Carry superhuman strength, be able to manipulate the world around them. Is basically satisfying that innate desire within us, at least for a little while. That's why superhero films are so popular. But that is God's reality. You know why? Because he spoke and things existed. And that thing that existed is the world we live in. So God just shows up and literally things are breaking off and like, your wildest imagination beyond that is God. The church ain't even know what the will of God was. Peter ain't even know what the will of God was. Okay? So one important thing to understand about this miracle is number one, how real it is. Number one, how nobody was expecting it. And number two, I want us to take away the response of Rhoda. Now it's funny. At first glance, it's really funny. Who is it? Peter. Oh my God, it's Peter. Run into everybody else. That's hilarious, y'all. I'm not going to lie. That's like... Like, if, my, if I did that, my mama would whoop me. You know what I mean? Even, even if that guest wasn't being chased by the government. <laughs> um, if I left somebody at the door and went and talked to her instead of opening the door, uh, she would be like, what the heck is wrong with you? And she would whip me up. Like, she would at least slam me up. Upside my head. You know what I mean? So, like, at first glance, it's funny, but I think at second glance, it's telling. It's telling of an innate human reaction. An innate human reaction. When God knocks on the door to your heart, through the word of a leader, or through scripture, or through prayer, or maybe it was a rise, or maybe it was something else, when God knocks on the door to your heart, saying, hey, I'm showing up to you right now. And you're filled with joy at the presence of God. Our reaction might be, instead of opening the door to engage in intimacy with God, we might turn to our friends and tell them what we saw. We might cut off our time of prayer, maybe 15 minutes too short, just to tell our brothers and sisters about the conviction we received rather than opening the door to God, rather than discerning that that was a knock to even more. Instead of pressing in into the intimate experience of God, we might allow ourselves to get caught up in going and telling our friends that we might leave God at the door. So it's telling, I think, of a very human experience. Her reaction is very appropriate. She was filled with joy at the voice of somebody she'd been looking for for a long time. She'd been missing him for a long time. But this girl, her reaction of joy 
was not to then engage in greater relationship with the person who gave her joy, but instead to turn to her community and talk to them. Now, it is telling that she was evangelizing and she was sharing the good news in, the, in a lot of stories. God usually uses women for that, I'm not going to lie. These kinds of moments, he usually uses women for this. Um, and I think it's incredible that she's a slave girl as well. God really elevates her. Clearly, she is not... Her, her socioeconomic status clearly has no bearing on how precious and important she is to God. But at the end of the day... She did not open the door for Peter herself. So I'm not, obviously like our whole sermon is not on this, but I want y'all to think about this. When God comes knocking on the door to your heart, what is your response? Are you opening the door for him? Or are you turning everybody else in the house and leaving God at the door? It's great to go and share your word with other people. But that God who does miracles, that God who bends reality, that God who made reality, that God who is wilder than your wildest imaginations and your greatest, loftiest dreams, you might have left him at your door. What is God knocking on in your heart today? Just something to think about. But we're moving right along because there's more. There is more to the sovereignty of God. So, all right, so at this point, Peter is saved, and he tells them to tell the church, and then he goes elsewhere. In the morning, which is like a short three hours, um, Herod open. he wakes up, there's a, there's a huge commotion because they're like, where's Peter? We're screwed. And Herod does an organized search. The, the, the original language shows that this search is organized, but they don't find him, and so he, he examines the sentries, that were at, that were supposed to keep watching, he executes them instead. Super angry, and he goes back and re- he returns. He retreats because he was going to use this to gain more political power and leverage over the Jews and over the Jewish colony, because the Jewish colony were a force to be reckoned with. But his opportunity is lost. He thinks it's because of human deficiency, but it's actually divine intervention. And honestly, the evidence of it is pretty, it should be pretty clear as well. No single door was opened, nobody saw Peter leave, and the chains are just broken on the ground. Nobody can actually explain. There was no window, there was no opening, nobody can actually explain how this man left maximum incarceration. And yet Herod, confronted with this miracle, executes his people instead, and then calls it a day. Later on, he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, Sidon, and they, these are both um, colonies. And so the people, uh, they're not colonies, they're um, lesser lesser nations that are basically under the power of Rome because, because at this point, um, this empire has control to food. And when you have control to food in an area, you have control over everybody. Um, and so people from Tyre and Sidon, they look at, they, they're, they're asking for, for the grace of King Herod. And so they ask for his presence through the chamberlain. And Herod, after a while of dissenting and saying, no, I don't want to talk to y'all. I don't want to see y'all. He agrees. 
So he wears all his priestly robes on an, on an appointed day, on the day that he was going to go. He delivers a speech, an oration, before the people. And they shout, the voice of a god and not a man. And then he drops dead. Now, I want you all to think about something. Your first reaction might be, why is he being dropped dead for something that they said? It's like King Uzziah. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember me talking about King Uzziah in Isaiah 6. But King Uzziah got angry at a Levite, a priest of God, and a prophet of God. And that anger made leprosy break out on his forehead. And that year, King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a faithful king. Right? And leaders of nations are in their positions because God has allowed it to be. In the case of Herod, when people were lifting up and elevating his situation and being like, yeah, yeah, go King Herod, the voice of a God and not of a man. He must have received that glory for himself. Daring to believe that his voice was the voice of God. And he took glory from God in that moment. He's God's creation, confronted with the miracle of God, past his control, even as a king, ruler of an empire, ruler of a region. And yet, he still took glory away from God, even though he saw it. And that moment drops dead. It says that his heart was like, it, I think they say that it might have been both appendicitis and a heart attack, but there's also something about being eaten alive with worms. There's actual medical condition about that as well. So it seems like there were multiple things that burst in his, in his, or in his, in his body at the same time that actually allowed him to drop dead in that moment. Um, they said that there was a very, like tense, intense feeling in his stomach that kind of spread throughout his body. So they think it's like extreme appendicitis. And then on top of that, um, he was struck in the heart. And then on top of that, he was eating a lot of food. So that's that's what happened to him reali in, in reality on the spot. I'm, I'm giving you guys these details so you guys can realize that Herod was a man that actually existed, who actually was killed, like, who actually did reap the consequences of his actions in that moment. Meanwhile, the people of God continued to grow, and God blessed Barnabas and Saul. And then the chapter ends. Now, one thing that's very interesting about this, it's kind of crazy if y'all think about it. Like, if you guys can imagine somebody dropping dead, I've, I've only seen it once happened within the church during a church meeting um that shook our church a lot basically one of from my home home church one of the elders in the midst of a church meeting um 
had a heart attack on the spot and passed away in the midst of fighting um, over church politics. And that shook our church a lot. I'm not going to say whether or not that was judgment or not, because that is not that is not my role. I am not God. Um, but that's the only time I've ever seen anybody, like really something like that happen so quickly during a very important moment. Um, but we hear about these instances throughout scripture. Um, and it might be hard for us to imagine what it looks like for God to do that. The fact that it is hard for us to imagine God's retribution is grace. I'm not trying to scare y'all because I want you guys to know that I fully believe in the grace and the love of God. You have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Ain't nobody going to tell you otherwise, right? God has set you free. And His robes, we talked about this in college group this past week, but that act of faith in believing that Jesus is the Son of God has become your righteousness, where Jesus has taken on the curse of sin for you literally by becoming a curse and giving you his righteous estate. And you stay that way in God's eyes. I fully believe in the grace and redemption, the full redemption through an imputation of righteousness. So given all of these things, and given all the fact that all of this is over your lives right now, the fact that we don't know God's judgment like this is in and of itself grace. That's why they say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Because when you realize what God can do, it's a little scary. And then you begin to realize that God loves me. It takes an admission of your guilt and the knowledge about who God is for the gospel to really take root in your heart. Not that grace isn't alive in you, but the reality of the gospel is that severe. So that's something to think about. Now I want to address another counter argument like I addressed about Peter and James. But Jane, how come Herod is killed and Saul Paul is not? We learn that Saul was also a persecutor of the church, arguably attempting genocide, organized mass murder, mass severe persecution of the saints. But how come Saul Paul is saved and Herod is not? What is the difference between the two? My answer for you is nothing. As a human being, Saul Paul, Apostle Paul, is no greater than King Herod. Or even Hitler. He's not any better of a person. That's not how human sin works. It's Fifty Shades of Grey. To us, but in God's eyes it's black and white because he's holy. He has no black in him. He's white. He's completely stainless. But our 50 shades of gray and sinfulness, there's still sin in it. 
And so no, Paul, Saul Paul is not any different than King Herod. But Saul does see the light of God and submit. Herod sees the miracle of God over and over and does not. Do I believe that God did not give Herod a chance? I believe that God gave Herod a chance. I believe that God gives everybody a chance. Whether or not God knows that this person is going to choose them, God always gives people a chance. But what y'all got to know is leadership is held accountable before God. Not to spoil or alert anybody, but Saul is executed by the sword. As Apostle Paul, when Apostle Paul dies, he dies through Roman execution. And leadership is still held accountable before God. This is some crazy stuff that we're talking about. And I know I'm vocalizing it in a way that might sound a little scary for you. But it's easy for us to read this part of scripture without realizing the gravity of how it can apply to our lives. How can we apply this into our life? Persecution happens, but God intervenes. As a Christian, it is natural and normal to live with some level of persecution in our lives. But one thing is clear, God intervenes. God is in our midst. God is real. And God is in full control. The same God that can make metal move just by his will, without even saying anything, just in his presence, the elements of reality just move. The same God that can do that, the same God that stands over all our lives, that God is the God that loves you. That God is the God that died for you. That God is the God that chose to take on your curse to the point of becoming a curse so that he can give you his righteousness. That God is in full control. That God is real. I don't know why. I don't know why. If you were to come up to me and be like, Jane, how come if God is in full control, things bad things still happen? My answer to you is, I don't, I don't know. But I wouldn't blame that on God if I were you. Um, because even though God is in full control, it was because of human sin that destruction entered this world. It, would, it is us, in the beginning of humankind, through Adam and Eve, and every day, even now, even after we've received the word of God, it is our propensity to be God over our lives and not let God be our God. 
that has brought sin in a very real way. Bad things happen in this world. But it would be foolish to blame God for it. I don't know why he doesn't just smite everybody and start afresh. But I believe the answer might be in his act of killing himself rather than killing us. Before people die of anything else, we all deserve eternal damnation for our sin. Screw diseases or punishment for crimes. And yet, and I say this as somebody who's tasted suffering myself. And yet, and yet, it happens. God is real and he is in full control this means that there is a level of accountability that is necessary this means that God's enemies aka the enemies of his people are not left unseen this means that God is in control of change and leadership as well and when we pray when the church prays on behalf of somebody or something God is listening hard conversation about the will of God. It's a very hard conversation about God's control. But the same God that controls everything, the same God that really can bend everything in our lives that same God is a God that loves us that same God is the God that saved us that takes care of us that same God is the God that gives us air to breathe every day that allows us to see another day that same God is the God that is watching over your life right now even when you leave him at the door That same God is a God that says, for I know the plans I have for you. That same God is the God that is greater than your greatest miracle, than the greatest, your wildest imaginations. God has a plan. That same God, the God that is confusing. It's okay, guys, to wrestle. You know? It's okay to struggle with the fact that bad things happen to good people. I'm not saying 
just to never think about it ever, ever. If I were saying that I would not address these counterexamples. I'm saying just don't go there. Don't judge God yourself. We got to know our place at the very least. We don't know what the will of God is. But that same God that is confusing and yet in full control of everything, that same God is the God that did an even more confusing thing, acted beyond our expectations and our moral values, and didn't just smite us and start afresh because we had nothing to offer him. There was nothing good about the world that God should save it. But instead of just wiping everything, he sent his son and his son died. That same God is greater than your wildest imaginations, has a plan for you, listens to you when you pray. That same God sees everybody and holds them accountable, even leadership that do not believe him. You might feel like these are three disjointed stories without a full understanding, but I truly believe that God gives this miracle example of Peter at the same time as Herod's passing to show how much he is behind the scenes in your life, in my life, and in the life of this world. Would you take some time with me to pray? Do you believe God when he says he is with us? listening we hope you were blessed by this week's message for more information check out our website at nbkumc.com